When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. Another Market Down Monday, the Father's Day edition, Father's Day weekend edition of Market Down Monday. Doug is the only father on the panel. Is this a special weekend for you? Uh, my kids ignore me. No matter what, we usually go to Japanese steakhouse. That is our official celebration meal. Um, so, you know, you can't go to the Japanese steakhouse. Um, I can't, I can't do it. It's Monday, but it's Friday. So we didn't have it yet. Oh. I can't fake it. Why? Why? I didn't ask you what you did. I just asked you if it's a special weekend. But I wind up trying to act like I've already done something that I haven't yet done. We might get Japanese steakhouse takeout, I would imagine. But, you know, my family, I don't know. My daughter is like maybe painting something for me. The oldest one is 16. She might look at me or not. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate my family each and every day. The joy of being a father is something that is unmatched in my human existence, and it's something that I do not take for granted. But to make one special day for it, eh, I don't know. They ignored me. Steven, do you make a big deal out of Father's Day? Um, I mean, I don't make a big deal out of it. I like My dad likes to bike, so I – well, yeah, he'll have gotten this by the time people hear this. I bought him, like, some biking gear. Um, cause he really, like, he's like in a whole, uh, group and everything and they bike around Columbus, like I'm talking 40, 50 mile biking sessions. So he's really gotten into it. So I got him some new biking gear. Oh, that's hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's into it. Like a yellow Jersey. Oh yeah. They've got a uniform and everything. It's a Facebook. I forget the name of the group, but they have, I would shout them out, but they have a Facebook group and everything. They're really into it. Does he ever listen to this podcast while he's he biking? He does. Uh, no, not, I don't think he listens while he's biking. I think he just listens in his spare time. Um, that would be smart, though, for him to do it while they're biking, though, since we usually go five, 45 years. That would probably be the smart thing to do. Yeah, you get a good a, a good ride, I would imagine, in uh, during Buckeye Talk. Well, happy Father's Day, Mr. Means, whether you're on a bike or not. Yes, and happy Father's Day, Doug, even though it's not Father's yeah. Day, so I shouldn't wish you a father, happy Father's Day. Because it's not Father's Day, and you can't pretend, but happy Father's Day anyway. Happy Father's Day to my father, who is here in this house that I'm recording this in. I'm back in central Illinois to record this. Um, it is Market Down Monday, as I said, and this week's edition is kind of harking back to what we did a few weeks ago, predicting who will lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020. We're taking it one step back into the secondary. Who will lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020? We did a podcast last week that you all have not heard yet because we subbed in a different podcast for it. So you will eventually hear us give our predictions for the coming 2020 football season. Well, no, Ohio I think State. they did not hear it. They, they did hear it because we put it up as the special Saturday podcast. It's true. Oh, see, I wasn't, see, I wasn't up to speed on those plans. I think I said it on the Friday on the podcast, podcast. while you were still on it. So, I think you said you you hinted that there might be something coming. I didn't think it was 
didn't think you said it with that specificity. Okay. I can't remember. See, this is why we had to do that podcast, which now has gone up on Saturday, because <laughs> we cannot be, remember one podcast to another what we say. There may be four or five podcasts that just never got posted at this point um, that are just sitting somewhere in a vault. Regardless, in that podcast, I said that I thought the secondary might be the difference between Ohio State winning a national championship and not. It wasn't that I didn't think they – could still have a good secondary, but I think that question being answered might be the question that answers whether they can be a national championship team or not. As you guys did this exercise, did it give you any additional insight into what Ohio State has coming back in the secondary or give you any more confidence or any more reason to question what they have coming back in the secondary? I don't, I mean, the questions are the questions. I don't know if that necessarily was the thing I found out while I was doing my research in this and coming to the decision and trying to prove why I'm going to be right. It was just more looking at some patterns of things of you know, what of the secondary groups, whether it's safeties or cornerbacks, actually ends up leading Ohio State in interceptions more, more often than not. Yeah, I didn't really do any research, so I, I can't <laughs> answer that question. No, I, I mean, I think we have – I think we have a good handle on the secondary and that I think we all agree. We don't have much of a handle. Yes. So, but yet the thing that I think is, I don't know that any of us believe that there's like a lot of competition there, right? That it feels right. like we know yeah. who the three corners are going to be because if it's not, of course it's Sean Wade, but then it's seven banks and cam Brown, I guess maybe Marcus Williamson might be the slot guy. Cause we saw a little bit of that, but, there's not a ton of candidates. We just don't know much about the two other guys beyond Wade that we expect to start. And then I think, you know, we've talked about Marcus Hooker a little bit as the deep safety, but I think everyone believes that Josh Proctor is going to get the lion's share of the snaps there. And I think everybody is like excited about Josh Proctor. We know he had a few missteps in the Clemson game, but yet we don't know much about him. So it's, I, I feel certain in our uncertainty about the secondary. And I just, I don't know how much more we can learn about them until Ohio State like gets on the field for the first time. Yeah, and I think it's just a matter of how those guys perform. I, I think you're right. I think we know who they're going to be for the most part. Maybe there's some things to be decided in terms of rotations or whatever. But I think we know the lion's share of the snaps are going to these guys. How will they perform? And that is one of the things that I think is it can influence even when you're trying to do an exercise like this because last season Ohio State had three corners you know, the two outside guys in Okuda and Arnett and then a slot guy in Sean Wade. Those three guys played pretty much, as long as they were healthy, every meaningful snap as a cornerback last year. They were the starters and they didn't rotate. Those were the three guys. That was not the way the, that position was handled when there were only two guys under Kerry Combs previously when he was here as the cornerbacks coach. And I'm curious to see what room there is for an emergence beyond just these three guys that we talk about now, Sean Wade returning and then Cam Brown and seven banks as the presumptive other two corners outside and slot. Do we think that there is room for there to be more guys involved in this? Or is it, I think, I think the answer is probably yes, but it, it's as long as somebody else steps up and proves they can actually play at that level. I think there might be room just because last year to the point is, there was a gap in between the guy you had starting and the guy that you maybe would have had be their other rotating guy there. And I don't know right now, any of us can say comfortably like, yeah, we might, we probably know who the three guys are, but outside of Sean Wade, I don't know. We don't know if the gap is big enough to where maybe they don't rotate maybe a Tyreek Johnson in there. I think there is room for emergence. I just don't know if they have emergers. Right. And what, I mean, I think Kerry Combs in the future will be open to rotating, right? And that we've seen that before. And and Jeff Halfley, I think, was sort of like, well, why would I rotate? You play the best guys a little bit, right? But it's about but who do you have? Guys. <laughs> yeah. But again, yeah, yeah. and I revisited this. If you guys, again, I, I wrote this large story on Denzel Ward um, on for Friday on Cleveland.com. And I I talked to Kerry Combs for that story and and just sort of joking around with him it was a personal story about Denzel Ward. So it wasn't about football, but the, as everybody knows, I mean, I had like a, a, a large disagreement in a pack of reporters with Kerry uh, Combs about, I didn't believe that when he said he was going to rotate corners when they had Gary on Conley and Marshawn Lattimore, cause I was like, why would you take those guys off the field? And they had Denzel Ward behind him. 
And then they did rotate it. And it was like, oh, by the way, look at the guy that we decided to rotate. So if you have the depth, I think Kerry Combs will do it. I just don't know that they're – are they four, five, six deep at corner this year? I don't think they are, but I think they might be in the future. And so I think playing three starting corners but then rotating those spots is something that Kerry Combs absolutely might do. I just don't know if they have the horses to do it in 2020. And I think that is one of the cruxes of my hesitation about the defense is last year they had three guys that they were so certain of from day one. And this year, I even if they think there's three guys who are ahead of everybody else, setting Sean Wade aside, Sean Wade they're certain about. Are you are you all in on Seven Banks and Cam Brown being the cornerbacks who can win you help you win a national championship? I think there is still reasonable doubt about that, and it's not even a criticism of those guys. It's just that the opportunity hasn't necessarily been there for them to display it to but, this point. But if you're not all in on them, who are you in on? Oh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, you, those are the guys you have to play, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying all in on those guys is the guys who are going to play. I'm saying, are, do you believe that those guys have what it takes to win this team, help win this, this team win a national championship? I think the idea between the rotating is, goes back to the recruiting. Kerry Collins was recruiting at a level where you could rotate because you had a fir- first-round draft pick sitting behind two other first-round draft picks, and that fell off when he left. So with him back, they should get back to the point where they should, could be able to rotate again. Right now, that's not the case. Yeah, my assumption is last year, if they had had, if they were still going with two corners and Kerry Combs was the coach, Sean Wade would have been rotating with Okuda and Arnett. That's just the way that they've done it. It would have been exactly. I mean, it's almost yeah, an exact same comparison. Thing. Jeff Okuda yeah. would have been Marshawn Lattimore, Damon Arnett would have been Garyon Conley, and Sean Wade would have been Denzel Ward. Yeah. I mean, Literally. it's practically exact. So yeah, that's what would have happened for sure. Some, some quick history here. The, the uh, Ohio State all-time record for interceptions is nine, held by safety Mike Sensabaugh and another DB, Craig Cassidy. Uh, Sensabaugh also came back in at eight in 1970. That guy was a ball hog back yeah, then. Yeah, I think he owns all the interception records. Yeah, I think he oh, does. Yeah. Not mistaken. Yeah. Um, recent leaders, last year was Akuda with three, the two-in-one game against Nebraska. Uh, 2018, it was Sean Wade with three. 2017, it was Damon Webb with five. And he ended a streak of five straight years where the team leader in interceptions was a safety. You had Malik Hooker in there. You had Von Bell in there. Um, so David Webb was a safety. Yeah, he was a safety. That's it's, what I said. He, he ended the five-year. He was the last oh, one. He was the last oh, okay, one. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Webb, Hooker, Tyvis Powell, Von Bell, C.J. Barnett, I believe, were all safeties five-year run. And then Travis Howard in 2012. So I only went back as far as the um, – the beginning of the urban era. I, I could, I didn't go back to find out when the last time someone other than a, a, a defensive back led Ohio state in interceptions. I'm sure it's happened, uh, but it's been a while and just partially because of the talent that Ohio state brings in as a DB. But uh, before we get to your picks, did you guys consider anyone other than a DB as your prediction, as your market down subject for 20? No, no, I didn't even think about it. I did not. I did see the texter who suggested that maybe Steven should consider Baron Browning. Uh, <laughs> we were going to get to that. He was not the only linebacker whose name he, he he was not the only linebacker whose name came up. Um, before we get to our picks, going to lead in everything. <laughs> before we get to our picks, I wanted to go. Uh, a couple of textures had some good general thoughts, and I think it, it can kind of help frame the discussion. Uh, from the three six one, I think the ability of the pass rush to affect the passer directly correlates to turnovers. Look at the 49ers. They had two interceptions two years ago. Then they get Bosa, etc., and they pass that interception total by game two last year with the same secondary players i don't think the osu secondary should gamble more if the pass rush is not as effective they'll need a fundamentally sound bend but don't break defense instead i I think i had put out in the tweet or in the text i should say that that for our texters to respond to this i had mentioned something about maybe the pass rush being less you need more from in terms of takeaways from this secondary but that argument actually makes some sense to me that maybe you don't need to be more aggressive and try to do too much if you're the DBs in this um, in this defense. That maybe it's more about playing solid. It's about keeping guys in front of you. It's about not putting the off, not making the offense do more than it already will be doing, which is probably something considerable. So here's so uh, so I don't know if this is the time to say this or not. Um, I think interceptions for a defense are almost an irrelevant stat. 
I think yeah. the interceptions for a quarterback matter because they tell you something about the quarterback. I'm not sure that interceptions tell you much about a defense. And in particular, I'm not sure. I don't think they tell you anything about how good a particular defensive player is. So if you want to argue that yeah. pass rush leads to hurried throws, tight coverage leads, you know, I get all of that. But but interceptions themselves um, – I think are in a lot of ways random. I think there's been some research that again, just turnovers in general turnovers. It's hard because people don't want to have something as important as turnovers be random. Right. But you can see right. sometimes when teams have good seasons out of nowhere, sometimes there's a huge turnover plus turnover margin connected to that. And then if they, you can, you can maybe pick a team that's going to have a step back year if they have a lot of the same people back because you can't count on that. So I, I think in the end, I think this is an interesting exercise to talk about the defense. I'm not sure how many interceptions Ohio State has and who has them has any bearing on what kind of success they'll have in 2020. How the secondary plays has a huge bearing, but I don't think interceptions are the proof of that. And to that point, I mean, we all can agree Jeff Okuda is probably better than just three interceptions, but I mean – if you don't get thrown at, you can't get stats. And so with, def with defensive back, yeah, with def it's almost as if the analytics are a better way to look at who's a good defensive back than the basic stats that you would look at a box score. Can I, can I make a point related to the statistics on this? Nathan, I didn't, are, is there more historical research that you nope. were planning to reference? No, go ahead and throw what you got. When you look at the Ohio State record books, there are they have 12 seasons listed. It's, they had two seasons with where a guy had nine picks. There were two seasons where a guy had eight picks, as as Nathan referenced. And then there are uh, eight seasons of seven picks, individual interceptions, interception seasons of at least seven. Okay, so there have been 12 times in Ohio State history where an individual player has had at least seven interceptions. Only two of those have occurred since 1990, and only one of those have occurred since 2001. It's Malik Hooker in 2016 had seven. Mm -hmm. But if you look at pass breakups by season, there are 11 guys who have had at least tw 12 pass breakups in a year. The leader is Bradley Roby in 2012. Denzel Ward in 2017 is on that list. Ashton Yabodi in 2004. Dustin Fox in 2002. Bradley Roby in 2013. Chris Gamble in 2003. So what that tells me is, Pass breakups have gone up because teams throw it more and there are more opportunities to make plays. Interceptions have gone down historically because people got so much better at throwing it. And mm -hmm. I think Mike Sensabaugh probably had a lot of picks back in the Woody Hayes days because Big Ten quarterbacks were like, it's like they were throwing a medicine yeah. ball. If you think Big Ten quarterbacks stink now, which I do, I can't imagine what the average big – can you imagine what Indiana's quarterback looked like in 1968? I bet you that guy couldn't throw a spiral, and I don't care who it was. So I think it's, it's just an interesting statistical look that these great DBs are having more chances to make plays, but making a play in the modern day doesn't really mean making a pick because it's a little harder to do. And it's not really necessarily what it's all about. I, I was actually going to make that point later that the person that I would pick to lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020 was not the person I would pick to probably lead them in um, pass breakups. I think that's it's yeah. it's it's a different stat in some ways, and it's um, and and I think opportunity is is also maybe going to be a factor to the, the to, to some extent. I wonder one other thing that I think frames the larger conversation here. This is from our buddy Khaled in the 858. Um, he said he's not sure, sure about the lack of pass rushes reason to make plays on the ball because one, I could be mistaken, but Kerry Combs was more of a face guarding type of guy before he left to the Titans. And two, especially at the start of the year, this would be too risky for them to adapt because they are not sure what they have with the lack of a pass rush. They might even be more conservative not to give up big plays. Any gamble with the on ball play could mean the opposing offense taking to the house, especially with the lack of pass rush. Uh, maybe bigger question is, will they stick to Halfley zone and man mix or sway one way or the other at the beginning? Doug, you have the best perspective of the three of us as far as like 
what they saw last year and what Ryan Day says he wants this defense to be, although that was, again, coordinated by Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison, but Halfley was no longer here. And then now Kerry Combs coming back into the situation and having not just some authority with the cornerback room, but also authority over the whole defense and how that might affect how this secondary attacks opposing offenses this coming season. Do you have like, are you, have you started to maybe kind of try to figure out what that could look like? So, yeah, I mean, we've been having this debate. I mean, I think the, the single high safety versus two safeties debate as it relates to Kerry Combs and what he's done here and then what Ryan Day did last year and the will they play a mix of cover one and cover three, which is man and zone, or will they play face up man to man, which is you're pressed up on the guy at the line of scrimmage, which, again, is what they did while Kerry Combs was here. That wasn't necessarily Kerry Combs' call. It was what Urban Meyer wanted to do since 2014, and they did mix it up some. It wasn't full dedication to that, but they did talk about it a lot. It was part of their their identity. Um, so here's what I think on that. I still am – and my whole argument on this is it's what Ryan Day wants to do. And so that a guy like Kerry Combs, Kerry Combs was here in 2012 and 2013. They kind of played defense one way. Urban Meyer got sick of it. He brought in a different defensive coordinator. They changed how they played defense. That wasn't about even the defensive coordinator. It was about Urban Meyer. So Kerry Combs has to do what Ryan Day says they want to do. And I think Ryan Day wants to play a mix of man and zone. He doesn't, he wants to make it hard on the quarterback, the opposing quarterback. He doesn't want that guy to know what's going to happen. When I asked Jeff Halfley when he got here about will guys turn and look for the ball? And he had an answer like that. He knew that was a mm -hmm. thing while Kerry Combs was here. As good as those DBs were, people were like, why don't they make more picks? And the whole idea with Kerry Combs is you're kind of pressed up in man. When you turn and run with a receiver, you're not supposed to look back for the ball. You're supposed to try to read his eyes. And as he goes up to make a play, reach up through his hands to knock it away. So when you're doing that, like it's impossible to pick off a pass because right. you're not even looking for the ball because the idea is when you play man like that, if you're running with the guy, the minute you turn to look for the ball, you slow down, yeah, and all of a sudden there's a gap. So you're not even trying to pick to pick passes off. It's not part of what you do. Which is where you get the the technique of them running through a wide receiver's hands in order to break, get a pass breakup. To get while, it right, and while, that's when the goal. The pass yeah, breakup is the goal, right. not the pick. While we while when you're in cover three zone, as we saw with basically all three of Jeffrey Jeff Okuda's picks last year, you're already looking at the quarterback. So it's just you know go make a play on the ball. And even if in you're you're in man, you might be backed off a little bit before you mm -hmm. get up in the man. But when you're like, and you're exactly right, Stephen, it allows you when you play this mix of cover one and cover three, then DBs cornerbacks when they're covering a guy are reading the route, they're reading yeah. the quarterback, they're reading the receiver more. And part of the instinct is. You're supposed to make a break on the ball. When you're in cover three and you're back a little bit, you break on the ball. Now when you break on it, you're not mm -hmm. just trying to get your hand in between the receiver's hands and break it up. Now you're trying to make a play. So the question is, what are they going to play? Maybe I'll be wrong. I just think it's Ryan Day's call. And I think Ryan Day, from an offensive standpoint, believes you don't want the quarterback to know what you're playing. It's an edge for the defense if the quarterback isn't 100% sure whether the defense is in man or zone. And that's what they gave last year. And before that, a lot of the time, you had a pretty good idea that Ohio State was in man-to-man, -man, but it was like, well, our corners are better than you. It doesn't matter if you know. So if they're in the mix of, of man and zone, which is what I think they will be, I do not think Kerry Combs will change that or even has the ability to change that. If they are, then I think they will look for the ball. And I think their, DB, their corners might make a few more picks because – the defense is designed for them to have more chances to do that. So let's mark it down. Who are we predicting to lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020? Steven, I'm going to let you go first. I went with Josh Proctor, and here are some of the reasons why. One, he is the polar opposite of what Jordan Fuller was as a free safety, where it was, you know, conservative. He, got, he racked up a lot of tackles, but he wasn't going to make a lot of major big plays. While Josh Proctor has clearly shown that, you know, High ceiling, low floor as far as he is going to make some pretty good plays, but he's also going to give up a 64-yard touchdown sometimes. And they're going to need that this year because there aren't two first-round – that we know of right now sitting today, there are not two top 20 picks as their outside cornerbacks and another first – a future first-round draft pick who's playing on the inside because there's two first-rounders on the outside as well. So they might need him to make him out more of those plays like he did against Miami of Ohio, like what he did to, to end the Big Ten championship games. They're going to need that from him, and he's going to be in the position to do so because regardless of what – he's the single high safety 
But then when they go cover three, as we just discussed, he's already going to be looking at the ball a lot of this time anyway. So he's going to be in a position to get a lot of these picks. While with Sean Wade, they might not throw at him as often. And to what we just – and just the other side, we didn't see a lot of picks from cornerbacks in the past with the same same system. So why this is kind of Josh Proctor's realm of be a playmaker and a defense who probably needs you to be that. Did you have a number in mind? I said four. Doug, your pick. Ditto. Proctor wow. with four. Proctor with four. <laughs> I good. Do you, do you, you think I'm done there? You think I'm going to expound a little bit on that? I assume I, you're going to expound, but I you got were a little worried it. there, I'll man. I'll stipulate. Dragging it out as a dramatic pause. I couldn't remember the word the other day when you when you were in court and you just said you agree to the facts. Stipulate is the word I was looking for and I couldn't find. Um, I just watched the Josh Proctor highlight reel literally during this podcast. Um, he had a pick against Florida Atlantic in the opener last year. That was a Malik Hooker pick. Single deep safety. Although Malik Hooker, I mean, and again, a lot of this, when you're playing two safeties, there's, oftentimes there's a safety who's up in the box a little bit and yeah. that Damon Webb would be, would be up a little bit. Or again, when they were playing two safeties in two corners, Damon Webb is, is locked up in with a slot guy. So even in that two safety look, Malik Hooker was often tasked with sideline to sideline help. So there's a play, if anybody can find it, if you Google, do what I did. You can be Doug Maurice. You can be as educated about this team as I am. Just Google Josh Proctor highlights or Josh Proctor interception. Against Florida Atlantic, you can see him drop deep in the middle of the field. He reads the quarterback. The quarterback throws to the sideline, a deep ball to the sideline, and Josh Proctor just gets over there and dives in front of the play and makes the pick. He and came from a little while over, too, because I, I wrote about this, and I have the gif in my story. He came from a little – he had to make a little journey to get over there. Hooker-esque. But if you're going to be a safety in a defense like that, who whoever has any interceptions, you've got to have that because you've got to get from the middle of the field. Now, every now and then they'll try to make a, a throw down the middle that you don't have to work as hard for. But a lot of this, if you remember – I can't remember against who it was against, but you guys remember there was like a leaping Malik Hooker interception from his 2016 season on a throw like that down the sideline and it's like all of a sudden the safety just comes into the picture and steals it mm-hmm. proctor has that play against florida atlantic if you go through that same highlight film he broke on a route against indiana and it hit him in the chest and he dropped it he broke on a route against Rutgers. now these are both late in games blowouts in the second half but that's when he only got his chance to play this is a guy who has the instinct so Nobody's Malik Hooker. When he was here, Greg Schiano said Malik Hooker was like the best college safety since Ed Reed. Josh Proctor is not Malik Hooker. Malik Hooker, if you just said to yourself, according to my memory bank, I remember the pick Malik Hooker had against Deshaun Watson in the end zone in the Fiesta Bowl, the 31-0 loss in the Fiesta Bowl. If Ohio State had any other safety in the history of the program or any other safety in college football in 2016, that loss would have been 38-0. Because nobody makes that play other than Malik Hooker. And he got over there and turned a touchdown pass into an interception. If you just allow your memory bank to tell you how many interceptions Malik Hooker had in 2016, your memory bank would tell you like 17 or 18, maybe 12 or 13. But all I remember is that Malik Hooker was everywhere. And Malik Hooker had seven. Now, three of those turned into pick sixes. But Malik Hooker had seven. And he played that position unlike anybody I have ever seen. So if Malik Hooker had seven, man, I don't know how you can get to more than like five on Josh Proctor. I'll say four. If I was going to set the over-under, maybe I'd set it at four and a half. And I would think he could get to five. But Nathan, I read through some of the answers enough to know. And I love the enthusiasm of the answers on Market Down Monday. Some of you people with your number predictions have to chill out. It happened with the yeah. sack predictions, too. It's like, oh, well, how many, how many sacks did Chase Young have as a sophomore? Oh, he had 10. I think Zach Harrison will have 23 sacks as a sophomore. It's like, know the context here. So if Malik Hooker had seven, I'll tell you this. There is not a Malik Hooker on this team, okay? Now, again, Malik Hooker came out of nowhere. Josh Proctor can go out and have a better season than Malik Hooker, and I'll, come, I'll be the first guy to say, unbelievable. You can't assume it. I think Proctor is clearly the candidate here. 
And and if I would I would be here for a Sean Wade argument, but I think Proctor is clearly the pick, and I'm also going to say four. But you also said that interceptions are not necessarily, and I guess, and you were talking, I guess, more about the broader defense than individuals. But that that interceptions and creating turnovers are not always indicative of talent slash skill. They are sometimes more indicative of opportunity slash luck. No, they're not. But there are certain players when you're in a scheme where it's clearly, you know. Like Josh Proctor is going to be in a position like Malik Hooker was where if, and he's probably got the talent level, not saying it's it's equal, but the talent level to where he can make some of those things happen because of where he plays on the field and what his responsibilities are going to be out there. And that but is the other difference here is scheme because Josh yeah. Proctor will be the single high safety. Malik Hooker was one of two guys back there. I don't know how much that changes it, but it changes it some. I mean, if your point, Nathan, is that like, Josh Proctor maybe is not as good as Malik Hooker, but maybe he'd get nine picks anyway because, again, there's a randomness to it or it's not just an indication. I could buy that, right, that depending nine on what it is. Nine seems a bit if, high, but just getting, teams, to that, getting to seven wouldn't yeah. Right, that if teams are trying to catch up and it's just like the way the season unfolds and he has a game where he gets two or three against a really stinky quarterback or whatever, like I could see something like that. Or even that if somebody would say, listen, Sean Wade is the best guy in this secondary Josh Proctor's the best guy, you know, the best ball hawk in this secondary. But here's why I'm picking Cam Brown, and there's some randomness factor involved there. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of thing can happen for sure. And, like, yeah, could he just get to, to seven or something? The other thing is, how will this defense have to play more snaps than last year's defense did? Does that lead to more opportunity? That remains to be seen. Um, I also picked Josh Proctor. I think he was the, the obvious first choice for this just based on, again, the the things that he's proven over the course of his career. Just so I'm not picking the exact same numbers you guys, I'm going to be for once the optimist since I'm always considered like the, the, the gloomy Gus of this group. And I'm going to say he'll get five interceptions. I think he showed last year that he has like, like Doug is saying there's, there's, he has the thing. He has the X factor. He has the it as far as being a guy who can get to the ball and make a play on the ball. He did it multiple times in what was relatively limited opportunity last year. I think if you give him a starting job and he's now the guy, those opportunities are going to grow. Now, the other half of the question is he ended his season on, I think you'd have to call it a down note. I think he was one of the players whose performance was criticized in the Clemson game. Did that give you any pause as to, since that's our favorite phrase, did it give you any pause as to the ceiling on Josh Proctor and whether these interceptions that we think he's going to get, that he's going to be a guy who has a knack for takeaways, is that not? Is it still going to be um, negated somewhat by him being more prone to also giving up big plays? I think it's – it did not lead me to have any doubts about his big playability. I think maybe the second thing, right, which is what Steven said off the top. He just might be more of a boomer bust kind of guy. He'll make on this series, he made an unbelievable pick. And then on this series, he like flew up and missed a tackle on the running back ran 50 yards. Like that just might be more the case than Jordan Fuller, who Jeff Halfley called the eraser last year, who I don't think anybody ever thought was going to make a sideline to sideline pick, but was pretty good at being the last line of defense back there and preventing big plays. And he was definitely a part of them preventing big plays. I think this defense probably will give up a greater number of big plays. And you can go to cfbstats.com just have a great searchable database. You can look uh, plays of 10 plus yards, 20 plus yards, 30, 40, 50, 60. When we talk about big plays, they are quantifiable. You can look it up. I think they will have higher numbers, Ohio State's defense in 2020, than the 2019 defense did. And I think maybe Josh Proctor will be part of that. But I think he also will make more big plays. And I just think it might be really hard to, to throw on them for big plays. Maybe you like, right, and again, I don't even know how often defenses try to do that anymore, but like to throw the ball 40 yards down the field, Josh Proctor might make you scared to do that. Try to hit a crossing route and somebody takes a bad angle or you pop a guy, mm-hmm. you know, on a quick little run up the middle and all of a sudden guys overrun the play. I think that might happen more in 2020 than it did in 2019. But I do think he just in general, it did not give, the Clemson stuff did not give me any doubt about his potential in 2020. It was more about Ohio State putting him in a little bit of an unfair situation. And if we just said, hey, he's going to be awesome against Clemson, that was kind of maybe silly by us because no matter how good you are, if you haven't played much, it's tough. Um, But I just think he's going to be a different kind of player. 
I think Josh Proctor is the epitome of the pros and cons of being an aggressive person. I mean, look at Ryan Day. Like, we've seen multiple times with them try to get pump blocks, and sometimes it's worked, and it's ended in touchdowns, and sometimes it ends up in a penalty, and Clemson keeps his drive alive. And Josh Proctor is the epitome of that. So, no, it doesn't give me pause. It just validated what I already thought about him to begin with. We have not had an opportunity to talk to Josh Proctor since the end of the season. In fact, I don't know if anybody in the greater media group even was able to talk to him after the Fiesta Bowl. I can't remember. So I'm going to be intrigued to find out if he, what he thought of that performance and how that sort of framed his offseason. If it was something that he saw, you know, I, he was exposed a little bit. Again, like as Doug says, I think you, you're, you're making a good point that maybe it was a bit of an unfair situation. Um, a, a tough thing they asked him to do, but he got exposed a little bit and he knows he's being anointed. He knows he's being lifted into this prime spot. How did that shape how he went about, you know, making himself a better player? Cause I think he did have to, as much talent as we saw in him, as much potential as we saw in him, I think everyone would agree he needed to become better between his sophomore and junior year for Ohio state to, to reach what it has as aspirations. So, and this um, is just a caveat for every player in the secondary at every level, yeah. and they know this. I mean, I think he might have made like two or three bad plays, but those right. are the ones that people remember. And all the times exactly. that you were in position and, you know, you just don't – a lot of plays don't involve you when you play that position. But if you let a guy out of the house the way they let Trevor Lawrence out of the house a couple times there, that really matters in the moment, and it's the kind of thing people remember. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Fuller had a, a, a strong season and a solid career, but everyone – remembers this one thing that got caught in a, a photo of him like grabbing hands with Travis Etienne and try to that all, all of a sudden that becomes almost like what his whole identity was at Ohio State in some people's eyes and I, I don't think that's quite fair so that that's a fair point as well so. what's the thing what's the Jordan Fuller Travis oh Etienne Jordan thing? Fuller um the first Travis Etienne's first touchdown where Jordan Fuller he's in position and most of most times they're, they're not Jordan Fuller makes that tackle but they got into a bit of a hand fight and Etienne got uh, free and ends up in a touchdown Okay. There's a there's a photo of them and it looks like they're just like grasping hands and like yeah. running in unison almost like you could really meme it. It's just a weird. It's sometimes photos are just weird and it's, it's they just caught him at a weird moment yeah. of this of of the play. So he's um, really good at the hand as a running back at the hand fighting with. Trust safety. me, there's there's definitely texters out there who know exactly what I'm talking about because they've texted it back at us when they've discussed Jordan Fuller and and Josh Proctor is like. That's why they're comp- that's why they like Josh Proctor coming in behind him. So that's how we feel. That's three votes for Josh Proctor. We're gonna come back after the break with our texture votes here on Buckeye Talk. We are back on Buckeye Talk, talking about who will lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020. I have votes for eight Ohio State football players for 2020 but only two of them received more than three votes. That is a weird photo. I just looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come along, let's go to the end zone. <laughs> and it's like there's two, there's two frames of it. Yeah. The first photo, they're like high-fiving above their heads, grasped, yes. and then it's like down at face level, still grasping. But yeah. it's all within like a millisecond. And then, yeah. like, the rest of the play, I'd have to go back and look, but it probably unfolded in a somewhat conventional way. But there it looks like they're in, in the middle of some kind of elaborate football dance. And just to get I mean, not a lot of Travis ATNs in the Big Ten. Correct. That's another fair point. Um, anyway, eight Ohio State players received votes, but only two that received more than three. Only one received three. So most, a couple people just getting a smattering of votes. Um, it's not going to surprise anybody who the top two vote-getters were, I don't think. Um, getting one vote for Baron Browning. I assume that did not come from Steven. I've got a burner phone that you guys don't know about. Yeah. Steven, Steven pays three ninety nine a month just to send, just to give himself crap on text. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that wasn't the one. That wasn't the one who actually voted. There was a legitimate, uh, so oh, somebody really Browning voted for Baron. There was a oh, legitimate wow. vote for Baron Browning, which I okay. have no, I'm sure it came from your burner phone. Um, uh, a couple of other votes I wanted to get into. These a couple of people just got a smattering of votes, but I thought it was interesting. Um, we got a couple for Cam Brown, who is the other guy that we've talked about. In addition to, you know, if Wade and Banks end up being the outside cornerbacks, then Cam Brown could be the slot guy. Um, we got a couple of votes that surprised me um, from the five eight five. I think it's going to be. I think it's the field over Wade. He's going to 
get the just don't throw at him treatment. To pick a name, I'll take Turkey Johnston, which I actually think was autocorrected from Tyree oh. Jones. How does that get autocorrected? I don't know, but it says that I, I looked, I went back and checked again. It says Turkey Johnston. Uh, but Tyreek Johnson, I think Combs gets the most out of people, and he's a former five star that Combs had targeted. Um, that would obviously, you know, Doug, you were saying before that it's it's hard to like look at potential stats for interceptions and try to, or even the eventual stats for interceptions and necessarily make a correlation to success. But I think if Tyreek Johnson is outperforming in such a way that he can end up with several interceptions this year for Ohio State. I guess I, I, I struggle to see where that is could be a negative thing for this defense. I think that's probably positive if he's stepping up or even if it's even if he has to step up because of an injury somewhere else or whatever, that he steps up and performs capably. I think that's a positive thing for this defense. They need more depth. They need more options, as we talked about at the beginning. I mean, I guess when I said it's like, well, who are the emergers, right? He would be an emerger. Right. Right. If we're talking about, well, who else is it going to be? Maybe him. I agree. We got um, from the 813, Tough Borland will lead the team in interceptions. Ha, 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 just kidding. And then they went on to pick uh, Josh Proctor with eight. But I will say that we did have two votes for, for Tough Borland leading this team in interceptions. And I appreciate that. Um, what I want to say, I appreciate that confidence that they have in Tough. Um, he had one but, last year. Because it's not Wade, but but I I we the way we saw Tough Borland used last year, especially as the season went on, um, he was not really on the field for passing downs for those third down situations. I, I think that makes it very very difficult for him in particular. I don't know that I expect a linebacker to lead this team in interceptions. I it, it makes it very difficult for Tough Borland to lead this team in interceptions. I think if there's any linebacker that should be being named, if we're going to name a linebacker, it's probably Pete Warner. Just because he's the Sam linebacker who is on tight ends, who and we know there are some teams in the Big Ten who use their tight ends a lot more than what Ohio State does, and so he'd be in a position to actually get an interception. I know he didn't have any last year, but he did have three pass breakups. And so if there's going to be a, a linebacker that we're even thinking about mentioning, it should be him. I mean, I was just looking this up. Jerome Baker was as sort of skilled, I think, in in pass coverage as as any Ohio State linebacker in, in recent years. Everybody remembers. I think it was a spring game. He had like a ridiculous leaping tipped interception. Um, like the two years he played, he had two interceptions one year and none the next. And like that's like Jerome Baker. So it's just it's just really hard, I think, for a linebacker to do that. This is our buddy Josh Mustachio from the 614. Three picks will lead the team, but there will be a tie with Tough Borland and Seven Banks. I believe both will be in position to jump a few more routes this year, and Tough has been working on catching the ball all offseason after watching the drop he had in the playoff game. Mark it down. And there was another crazy one in there, somebody predicting um, Tough Borland to basically like go out and win the Butkus Award and, and uh, in kind of like a fever dream they were having. That was just sort of a – that wasn't their serious guess. That was their guess on top of their, their serious guess. But um, interesting that there is – he's still one of those guys that is a bit – his opinion is a bit divided among our, our, our fan base. So um, so one other player worth mentioning, and this was maybe the surprise, only three votes for Sean Wade as the guy who will lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020. I know that none of us picked him, but he is the most talented defensive back returning on this defense so are we making too much of the they're not going to throw at him concept that we ran into last year with with Jeff Akuda, even though he did end up leading the team with three interceptions and and also could you argue that maybe it although could it be even more in that direction could they throw at Sean Wade even less because you don't have a Damon Arnett over there you don't have another Sean Wade um, the people that you're you're passing up, the people you're going after by not throwing at Sean Wade are not at his level or not are an even farther step down than it was with the CUDA last year. And that's why I think the no, they're not going to throw at Sean Wade is a bigger deal than not throwing at Jeff Okuda because Damon Arnett had been a starter for multiple years or at least in the rotation for multiple years at this point. The other options outside of Sean Wade are guys who haven't played a lot. So I'd rather throw them if I'm a quarterback and offensive coordinator. I'm going to attack that guy than the guy we know. At least he's a good. He's probably going to be a top ten draft pick. If I don't have to throw at him, and I can throw at a guy who does who has minimal 
playing experience, that's who I'm attacking every single time. I'm watching a Sean Wade highlight clip. Um, you know who can really cover people? Sean, Sean Wade. Wade. Man, he is right on guys' backs. I mean, if you're if you're picking like PBU guy, I mean, he is just on top of dudes where he is running like right behind a guy in a crossing route and the receiver and the quarterback tries to squeeze one in and he like reaches his arm across in front of the receiver and knocks the ball away. Here's the thing and on that's Sean Wade. That's a slot where it's two-way routes. And that's the thing. I and maybe this is wrong, but I just right I think it's hard to pick passes off as a slot corner. Because mm-hmm. it's these like like Steven said it's two-way routes, it's more quick hitter stuff where you're kind of running like with a guy who maybe is boxing you out and you maybe can get across to knock a ball away, it's harder to get a pick. A lot of these DB right, if you're going to get a pick as a corner, sometimes it's on a deep ball down the sideline where the guy under throws it or you have a chance to make a play on the ball. You don't have as many of those chances in the slot. This is why I think maybe Sean Wade is maybe a decent answer to this. He had three picks his first year as a starter, as a redshirt freshman. Led the team, 2018. One last year. But last year, he was exclusively in the slot. I was just watching the picks. One of the picks his first year as a starter, Brian Lewerke from Michigan State got hit as he threw it, and it was a duck ball, and Sean Wade just caught it. The other two were on deep balls. So if he now – we know he is going to be an outside corner. Sean Wade, for a chance to run with guys down the sideline, be more singled up as as a – outside corner who's maybe going to have more deep shots taken on him he will have more chances to make plays on the ball which he did he eventually sort of became the slot corner over the course of 2018 but he wasn't all that all the time at the start Mm -hmm. um i think he has a greater chance to make picks this year than he did last year because he's going to be on the outside so yes to all the discussions about people not throwing at him this guy really knows how to cover people, and he is, I think, going to have more chances to make plays on the outside than he did inside, and it's certainly possible that that could translate to three, four, five picks. Certainly not out of the realm of possibility at all. And to the point of what you were saying about slot corners, Nathan, what, how many did Cam Brown get if he got any? He had two votes. Okay. Um, to the, if he's the slot corner, the only way he's probably getting picks, to, to Doug's point, is – in cover three where he's going to be along, you know, the line of scrimmage and he jumps around on a screen pass. So outside of that, it's not going to be a lot of opportunities for him down the field to get it. Yeah. Um, here's one for Sean Wade. One person who was voting for Sean Wade, mark me down for Sean Wade and hope to have a celebratory stogie with coach Randy Wade. When he does, we know Randy listens to the pod, so he'll appreciate the shout out. Can we also take a moment to appreciate Sean Wade for coming back? We'll forever love him for that alone in terms of his Buckeye legacy. I think he is a guy that we, we, we talked about just what is in front of him in terms of what he means to this defense and, and his skill and his kind of veteran presence, especially meaning for a relatively inexperienced secondary. But he is a guy who is potentially, you know, he can put himself in that conversation with with that, that DBU conversation. If he's not there already, I think this is a year where he can really lock up a pretty special legacy potentially for Ohio State. This is not a, a fair comparison because – Mike Doss was a three-time first-team All-American, which is just rare, rare air. But I think for a lot of Ohio State fans, what they talk about the most with Mike Doss is that he came back. And then he came back and led a team to a national title. And I think I wasn't here covering that, but I think there would be a lot of Ohio State fans who would tell you they're not sure they win a national title in 2002 without Mike Doss. I think there is very little, and maybe it's not fair because it's not fair to all the guys who make the decision to go to the NFL because that should not be held against them. But when you have a guy who certainly had a decision to make and he stays and by staying, he vastly increases the chances of Ohio state winning a national title. And then he leads them to that. That is the kind of thing with legacy. When you talk about great individual seasons, when you talk about all time players, that double whammy of I stayed when I could have left and I helped lead us to the top. I think engenders as much respect and loyalty as anything that a college football player can do. And I think that is out there for Sean Wade. What you just said, Nathan, people are already, you know, appreciative. And again, it's not that you're mad at the guys who do leave, 
but they're appreciative of a guy who stays. And then, again, we've said a million times, think about what this defense would be without him. If they win it all, I think Sean Wade will go down as an all-timer. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to the two top vote-getters from the voting uh, from our texters, 614-350-3315, if you're not involved in that yet. Number two vote-getter, I don't think it's any surprise from the way we've set this up. It's seven banks. You got 29.2% of the vote. He's a guy who last year was a, a pure backup, got one spot start late in the season. I think that was when – I can't remember if that was for Arnett or Wade, but when somebody missed a game late in the season, was it when – I can't remember now. Um, but he I did have was, one start late in the season. I think it was for Arnett. And and we expect him to, to be on the outside. He looked good in the first practice that we got to see. He was with the first-team defense on the outside – we don't know exactly what would have played out the rest of spring, but I think it's a safe assumption that he'll be out there. Uh, from the 813, and by the way, this was the guy or girl who said that Tough Borland um, takes the leap of all senior leaps with five interceptions, six and a half sacks, and 15 TFLs. Um, but he had a more reasonable answer for his cornerback for who's going to lead team in interceptions. Seven banks all day. Sean Wade is going to have the same problem as Okuda, and they won't pass his way very often if Wade lives up to the hype. I've been excited with what I've seen with seven banks, and I believe he can only get smoother with more experience. Um, and from the 614, this is Brian from the 614, seven banks with five. He has a knack for the ball during limited number of snaps during his career. Moreover, he'll be tested a lot as a new starter opposite a first-round pick at corner in Sean Wade. Banks is obviously athletic and rangy, but I'm curious as to what he'll bring to the run-stopping game and blitzes from the edge. He will need to be an all-Big Ten-level performer if Ohio State is to make it back to the playoff in 2020. I don't know if I agree that Sean that seven banks needs to be all big 10, but I do agree that we can talk about interceptions, but as Doug alluded to earlier, it's, it's a bit of a fluky stat. What is, I think more important is seven banks and cam Brown and whoever else it's got to be an all around thing. It can't just be that you caught a couple of wounded ducks over the course of a year and led this team in interceptions. It's about pass breakups. It's about coverage that doesn't revolve any kind of stat and it's about stepping up and stopping the run. That was a really underrated part of what those cornerbacks brought to the game last year. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's, it's, not, it's not how many great plays you have. It's how many terrible plays you limit, I think, more for this secondary. And that, again, I don't, I don't think they have to set the world on fire. Um, I just think they can't get burned, which is the opposite of setting the world on fire. So, yeah, I am much more interested in – in them not giving up big plays than making them making big plays themselves. So the runaway number one winner was the same person we voted for Josh Proctor. He got a full 50% of the vote. Not a surprise at all, especially I think considering just the build that there's been for him over the first two years, people kind of seen him as the heir apparent. And on top of that, he made some flashy plays last year, some flashy plays on ball, some, some impressive interceptions. And it doesn't surprise me at all that he is the guy who won this. Uh, from the 4-1-5, I want to make fun of Steven and say Baron Browning, but that would just be mean. It's going to be Josh Proctor with four. He'll be boom and bust in the back. He's going to give up as many big plays as he will catch interceptions. Mark that down. Uh, from the 4-4-3, jo- mark it down, Josh Proctor. For as much flack as he took after the Clemson game, he has shown a natural ability to get to the ball in pass defense. Sean Wade won't get thrown out enough, and the rest of the corners will likely be in some form of rotation based on what we know about Kerry Coombs. Um, from the 937, Josh Proctor with four interceptions. Two for TDs against Penn State in the second half to put us up 28-14 on back-to-back drives with Sean Clifford out with 62-degree weather and a slight haze. Mark it down. 62-degree weather? <laughs> that, that's about as specific as I've ever seen one of these market down Monday predictions get when you're starting to predict the weather for a game in October or whatever. I will say that part of that reference, I think is I'm trying to double check it. There was this stretch um, in the mid like 2010s, right? Where Ohio state was pick six in Penn state, like every year Um, in five, this is a story from 2014. In five of the last seven games in Columbus, from like the mid, like from like 2008 or so, 2006 through 2014, it's like five out of seven games in Columbus, Ohio State had a pick six against Penn State. So that is somebody trying to revive the Ohio okay. State legacy of pick six in the Nittany Lions. 
one more from the 216, and this is – we always appreciate when our texters do our job for us. Um, as PFF, Pro Football Focus, noted in their list of breakout players for 2020, which Proctor made, uh, their quote, in 65 coverage snaps playing deep safety in 2019, Proctor had three forced incompletions, one interception, and two dropped interceptions. So that's, you know, that's six either pass breakups or coverage snaps. So one out of every 10, he's making some kind of play on the ball. Um, and that doesn't even count just, you know, other coverage situations that, like I said, don't result in a stat. Um, there is statistical reason to think that Josh Proctor is a guy who just is like is, is ready to capitalize on this moment. And, and the one thing I want to pull back on a little bit is he might not yeah. give up big plays. Josh Proctor might be ready to be awesome in every way, right? And but again, he, I think yeah. you, we can't hang – There is there are, have been guys over the years, it just happens, that when you're young and you are sort of in a season where you're kind of like in your backup season, right? You're a backup. You're a second teamer. Everyone knows you're eventually going to be a starter, but you're not a starter yet. And then something happens and you have to play – Sometimes you don't look good. Sometimes you have a bad game. And it wasn't that someone got hurt against clumsiness. What they changed their defensive alignment enough. That has happened to multiple guys. And then when those guys come back the next year and now they're a starter, sometimes all that is gone. Maybe because of the experience, maybe just because they're older, they studied the defense, everything they've, they've absorbed. I think as much as we, I think boom bust is there for Josh Proctor. I also think like boom, boom is there that this guy is nuts. He's a ball hawk. He's breaking up stuff all the time, but he also is completely solid. I mean, you know, again, on the Marshawn Lattimore first year starter slash all American list, Josh Proctor is among the candidates. And part of that, and part of last year is one, they were only playing one safety, but also before they played Clemson, how many teams in Ohio state played last year that required them to put another safety on the field at the same time as Jordan Fuller. So it, it's all one part of it is scheme, but also no one forced them to do that. And the first time they were forced to do that was against one of the three best teams in the country. So yeah, to your point, maybe that's all it was last year was a lack of experience. But now that he knows he's the guy that's going to be in that position, yeah, he could just be. I mean, yet yeah, he's the Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker story. He's the picture for the story. I mean, he's been. This is what he's been waiting for. What he's stepping into in 2020 is what he's been waiting for since the minute he, the minute he committed to Ohio State yeah. as whatever it was, top 50, top 70 national player. And I will say this: I've noticed this more maybe in NFL conversations than with OSU conversations or college football conversations. But every go go find like Hall of Fame defensive back, whatever, and ask somebody from that team about it. And there's people who follow that team who are going to make the case of like, oh well, yeah, he he's great, but look, he seems like he gets burned every third game or whatever which a is probably an exaggeration but b it's just like it's something that happens to dbs it's part of playing defensive back is that sometimes that's going to happen what i think there is a sophisticated enough fan base here that i think that if josh proctor is making enough other great plays that once in a while when you get burned i, I think they know how to factor that into to an overall assessment of a player um any last thoughts before we move on from market now monday yeah, well, I looked this up again. I'm doing a lot of during the podcast research on this one. Again, went to CFB stats. Um, passing plays of 20 yards or more. Passing plays of 20 yards or more. In 2018, Ohio State gave up 44. In 2019, Ohio State gave up 30. Passing plays of 40 yards or more. In 2018, Ohio State gave up 11. In 2019, Ohio State gave up 6. So that's what I'm talking about. And as I've said before, I, 2018 is not a valid reference point because things got so haywire that last year. But part of what they did so well last year was limiting the big plays. And as much as we like to talk about making big plays, that's what they have to continue. Only six passing plays of 40 yards or more, that's the kind of thing. If they can do that again in that range, then this secondary will be good enough. It, it's, it's not. They don't have to save the day. They just have to make sure they aren't the reason that this team is losing. So mark it down, everybody. We all think Josh Proctor is going to lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020. Fully half of our tech subscription audience believes Josh Proctor is going to lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020. So high expectations for the, the presumptive first-year starting safety, but I think reason to have a lot of optimism that he can get to that. That's going to wrap it up on Market Down Monday. Come back. We're going to have five daily pods for you again this week, maybe six. Apparently, we're doing six days a week sometimes. 
I'm the last to know. Maybe seven. Maybe seven. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe seven. Let's Wait, just maybe? go to two a day. Why let's stop two, at seven? Two, yeah, two a day. Let's just, you know, let's just stay on podcast all, all day and make it live. Next It'll Market like- Town Monday, which number will be higher? <laughs> Our weekly podcasts or Josh Proctor's interceptions in 2020? There we go. <laughs> Uh, hopefully Josh Proctor interceptions in 2020, but, um, we'll, we shall see. Come back and join us. And that was Buckeye talk.